Please open your Bibles to Psalm 95. And I'll read this psalm to you as you read along silently. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work, forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. This psalm can be divided into two distinct sections. Verses 1 through the first half of verse 7 are a call to worship, and hear what the Lord has to say to us. The second half of verse 7 to the end is the Lord's message to his people, delivered partially in the first person. The first portion of the psalm can be further subdivided. Verses 1, 2, and 6 tell us how the Lord wants to be approached. Verses 3 through 5 and the first half of 7 give us reasons why God should be approached in the manner specified and provide reasons for why God's message ought to be heeded. The second section can also be further subdivided. The second half of verse 7 and the first phrase of verse 8 give us the real message of this psalm. The remaining verses provide an extreme example of a nation who disobeyed the simple message. To dive into the first half of the psalm, how do we approach the Lord? In this psalm, approaching the Lord includes singing, a joyful noise, thanksgiving, more joyful noise, worship, bowing down, and kneeling. Psalm 100, among others, also include these elements of worshiping God. Singing and joyful noise come from upright hearts. Psalm 32.11 says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Why should the Lord be approached this way? And what attributes of the Lord should stir up a desire within us to approach him this way? The psalmist first, first appeals to Jehovah's position as a great God and a king above all gods. This is an inherent attribute. He then appeals to creation, the deep places of the earth, the strength of the hills, the sea, the dry land, and appeals to the fact that he's our creator as well. This is a declarative attribute. A third reason given is that the Lord is very close and personal with us. He is called the rock of our salvation, our maker, our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. In this list are both declarative and transferable attributes. On the basis of these three appeals comes the Lord's sober message. 
Before I proceed further, it should be noted that we know how to apply the Lord's message in verses 7 through 11 because Paul explains these verses to New Testament Christians in Hebrews 3 and 4. Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Today is not one 24-hour period, but specifically the 40 years between John the Baptist's ministry and 70 A.D. Today may also include any time the gospel is preached today. If indicates a condition. Today, if ye will hear his voice, some will hear, some won't. Paul carefully points out in Hebrews 3.16 that Joshua and Caleb believed God's promises even though the majority, majority of the nation did not. Today, if you will hear his voice, this hearing implies more than passively receiving the sound of a speaker's voice, but also includes obedience to what is communicated. Harden not your heart. God said the wilderness generation erred in their heart, verse 10 of this psalm, had hardened their hearts, verse 8 of this psalm, and Paul called it an evil heart of unbelief, Hebrews 3.12. The provocation did not happen in a vacuum. It started with an evil heart of unbelief and not believing God's promises. Moving on, as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, what is the day of provocation, the day of temptation? Specifically, the provocation was Israel's refusal to enter the land of Canaan the first time God brought them to the border. Mm-hmm. Numbers fourteen eleven, And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? Right. This signal event of provocation was preceded and followed by 40 years of other events that provoked the Lord and which are detailed in Deuteronomy 9, which we read recently for preparation. Verses 9 and 10. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work, forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Did you know it is possible to see God's work and yet not know his ways? Verse verse 9 says they saw my work. Verse 10 says they have not known my ways. God said this was an error in their heart. Amen. Unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. God swore in his wrath that the generation that provoked him would not enter into his rest in Canaan. Paul, by inspiration in Hebrews 4.3, takes the if from Psalm 95.7 and moves it to verse 11. As I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest. He shows there is a rest other than Canaan and future to David, and entry into that rest is conditioned on belief of the gospel. This rest is practical blessings in this life, not eternal life, because it's conditioned on our obedience. This rest in the gospel is achievable for every child of God. It means you believe every promise of God. It means you completely trust everything God has said on every subject and are ready to act on it. Entering into gospel rest is not guaranteed, but is dependent on each hearer's obedience. Hebrews 4, 1 through 2. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Entering into gospel rest requires work. As Paul said in Hebrews 4.11, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Entering into gospel rest might require standing alone, like Joshua and Caleb did against the rest of their nation. 
Two believed God. Three million carnally-minded church members were ready to stone them for it. It takes examining yourself for any unbelief. As Paul said in Hebrews 3.12, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. It necessarily includes giving and receiving exhortation from others. Hebrews 3.13, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through through the deceitfulness of sin. Today we have heard and will hear the words of God spoken to us. Will you believe? Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts and enter into his rest. Amen. Amen.